Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. Let's hope we won't have to change the name of the show by the end of the weekend. United versus City in the first Manchester derby meeting of the new season. We'll look ahead to that, look at Solskjaer's record against Guardiola, analyse the press conference and give you all the build-up you could ever wish for out of United versus City at Old Trafford on Saturday. And for such a big match, we've got such a big sort of a panel with us here. Samuel Luckhurst and Tyro Marshall. Samuel, I'll start with you. How are you doing? I'm not I'm not too bad after a week of planes, trains and automobiles and uh, pretty much a, a route home nearly as disastrous as John Candy and, and Steve Martin. But it, it was nothing <laughs> compared to uh, to what Ty went through on, on Sunday. Another night in, in London, but this time in a, in a Premier Inn, I believe. Yeah, Ty, uh, just maybe fill the, the listeners in quickly about your uh, horror show last weekend. The United were better on the pitch than you were off it. You struggled to get home, didn't you, after after United's win against Tottenham? I did, yes. I failed to get home from London to Manchester on uh, on Sunday, so it's probably for the best that I wasn't going to Atalanta, really, uh, given that record. Yeah, I had two two trains leave London, Houston, for destined for the north on Sunday, and both of them spent three, four, about four hours on both and both returned to London, Euston as well. So eight hours on a train to, to end up back where I started. It was a, a pretty God. miserable day. You're not the only one going around in circles. United's back on this weekend. Uh, <laughs> let's hope it's an improvement from last time out when they played Liverpool, of course. I mean, we'll maybe get on to what, what that what a defeat like that would mean for Solskjaer by the end of the week. But Samuel, since that defeat to Liverpool, you know, that's the last home game. There's been the win against Tottenham, which is, you know, asterisked by the fact it was a terrible Tottenham who have since changed minds themselves. And then a uh, draw away at Atalanta where Ronaldo's resilience has bailed United out twice with a late goal in either half. Heading into the derby this weekend, where are United at, do you think? Because it's hard to say there's been a resurgence. OK, they are unbeaten in the last two games. There's been an improvement, but they were so bad against Liverpool in that game. Do you see any sort of signs of progress? Do you do you think that Liverpool game was a one-off or do you still think there's, there's something like that in United's locker? Oh, no, I, I think that they've, they've got it in them to capitulate again, but I don't think it will be on that scale this time purely because those, those results... They can be freakish. They can be once in a lifetime. Uh, I think in the history of United and Liverpool, they've only ever been to two five nil wins, and the last one before um, a couple of weeks ago was in nineteen forty six. But it, it is difficult to make head or tail of them at the moment because they have had two creditable results since um, since the Liverpool game. They were very impressive against Tottenham, but. You, you didn't have to wake up the next morning and let the dust settle to realise that it was against a dreadful Tottenham team. One that, uh, I mean, they, they played as reluctantly as they were to appoint Nuno Espirito Santo. Then he got sacked on the Monday. So two days later, after a 3-0 win away at Tottenham, United's result was even more blemished by the fact that the club actually sacked the manager. And the Atalanta game, it's another last-minute Cristiano Ronaldo salvage show that has... You know, it's prevented them from a potential disaster. Really, I think, given the the context of the group now, they they really should qualify, whether it's first or second. Sometimes those things don't matter, but the performance in general in Bergamo was was again problematic. It, again, we've said it previously. It's it's amazing how one or two selections or one or two changes can just completely upset the rhythm and the momentum of the team. And that one selection in midweek was was Paul Pogba coming in. He was the only player of those players recalled who didn't deserve it. There was no rhyme or reason for starting him. Unfortunately, his his form has been that poor of late that you just can't 
you can't countenance it. You can't. There's no justification for for playing him, and he was abysmal. And it's unfortunately it's not a surprise. And in, in the latest chapter of the Pogba saga, it's now looking like it's he's just going to be running down his contract. Uh, I, I I've said it for a long time. There's no need to to keep him. It's it's just got to that point. Not got to that point. It's been at that point for a long, long time now. But there's so much noise around Pogba that you can't ignore it. And sometimes, if Solskjaer says we're having discussions, you have to take him at face value, even though he's he's probably fibbing about that. So I think it's probably just as well that Pogba isn't playing this weekend because he wouldn't be starting in that game against City. And beyond beyond the midfield issue in midweek, Maguire's form has been dreadful. United looked so much looser when they went to a back two. And it was to Eric Bailly's credit that he played as as well as he did. And when you've got Ronaldo, anything's absolutely possible. So I said before the game, if they got a point, it would be it would be a positive point. And it was a very positive point because of the manner of it. And certainly those supporters in the away end enjoyed it immensely uh, at full time and after full time as, as, as well they should. It was, it was a great trip for them, great city, uh, really entertaining game of football as well. New stadium, new club visiting. Uh, so I think coming into this game with City, you know, City should be favourites. If they're not, I, d- I don't know what book- bookmakers are playing at, but uh, I-, I suspect because United went through uh, the thrashing that they had a couple of weeks ago, it might be a bit of a closer run thing. And also because of the gradual momentum they've managed to build on that humiliation by Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. Like you touched upon there as well in terms of team selection. It'll be interesting to see what Solskjaer does because he said when he when he does make these wholesale changes, it doesn't actually really work for United. I know there's that tendency with the squad depth to always say XXX and XX should come in and, you know, just it doesn't always work out that way. Ty, in terms of what Solskjaer might have learned ahead of City this weekend, I mean, the, the formation change, do you think that'll be, that'll be kept? Because from my point of view, if United do go sort of back free, I don't think they're going to be as easy to sort of push over and annihilate as, as Liverpool found. And they sh- certainly shouldn't be as porous at the back. In terms of the actual back free, though, we've got Rafael Varane, who is out for around a month, and Victor Lindelof is a doubt, although Solskjaer's press conference even seemed a bit muddied there and contradicted himself, saying he should be back, but he might not be back. So if United... Do switch her back three, which you know I'm advocating. You might not. Um, who would you select in there, anyway? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Solskjaer knows what doubt means after his, his quote about Lindelof. It was very confusing. I actually think um, I wrote this piece for lunchtime. I think Varane's injury on Tuesday is is absolutely disastrous for him. Really, I think in a way, it'd probably have rather lost Ronaldo than Varane because at least you've got Cavani as a fit and informed replacement. There's no informed replacement for Varane possibly kills the possibility of a back three and like you I would play the back three I think they look a lot better in a back three at the moment not just defensively but as a team they look a lot better the structure's a lot better they've got a lot more control in their play in that back three albeit we're saying this off limited evidence but that was certainly the case against Tottenham and I think we've ran out you probably need Lindelof to be fit to start then you're starting Lindelof Baye and Maguire as the back three and then you've got the, the the prospect, or I guess probability, that if you play that back three, it probably means Phil Jones is going to be on the bench. And if one of them gets an injury, do you go to Jones? Do you play Shaw as left-sided centre-back? But then that would mean Maguire maybe playing in the middle. It's a big responsibility for an out-of-form player. So I wouldn't be surprised if Solskjaer <coughs> excuse me, felt his hand was forced to go back to the back four, which I think would be a bad move because they've been really poor in that back four. 
um, this season. And I think it was obvious against Leicester and Liverpool in those two games when they conceded nine goals that it was just far too easy to play against in a back four. The gaps between defensive midfield and defensive attack were massive. And I, was, I think back to that Brendan Rodgers quote after Leicester had beaten United when he was asked how they did it. And he basically said their central players didn't press us so we could be patient and we could wait for the moments to basically pass around them and put pressure on their back line. I mean, that's just Manchester City, isn't it? Basically, what he's describing there. So if United play 4-2-3-1, the way they played it at Leicester, with that lack of pressure, with those gaps around the midfield, I think it would be it would risk it being very, very easily, very easy for City and Leicester have improved. So I would go with the back three. I would want United to go with the back three. But I do wonder if the, the injury to Varane might dissuade Solskjaer from, from doing that, which is why I think it's such a big injury. Because if he feels forced to go with the back four and they get thrashed again, he will probably lose his job. So it's it's not necessarily a stretch if th- things do go wrong to pinpoint that Varane injury as kind of the moment. Obviously, it was already turning, but as potentially a, a decisive moment if it does go badly wrong tomorrow. Interesting one there, Samuel, in terms of the actual approach, because I know that we've said it in past podcasts, I know is isn't really a secret, is it? But if United set up at home, you know, the United way, the United DNA or whatever you have here, if you set up at home against City, accepting that you're going to be second best, you have to play on a counter-attack, that sends out a bad message anyway. So being risk-averse could almost make it even more risky for Solskjaer. What type of approach would you take, though? Do you think Solskjaer really does just have to think about trying to get a result or do you think that he still has to go about the match in the correct way as well and find that balance? It's it's the result that takes priority. At Tottenham last week, they had the good fortune of coming up against a team with an even more unsuitable manager for um, for Tottenham's needs and, and they got the performance as well. They they were impressive, I thought, even before the, the first goal, the second half. It was it was very, very easy for them. Or well, they made it easy for themselves. And, and Tottenham made it easy for United as well, of course. And we, I think we all agreed after the Liverpool game that it was, or this period before Leicester even, that it was, it was needs must. And, of course, the Leicester game, everything since then... Uh, that, that there's been an awful lot of soul searching, I think, from Solskjaer, but also when it comes to the tactical side of things, he has tried to maintain that 4-2-3-1 formation and it, it clearly didn't work. I mean, Paul Scarves can be the harbinger of doom, but he, he called it ahead of that Liverpool game uh, after United beat Atalanta. And the back three at the moment is, is short-termism for a coach who apparently is the from United's perspective uh, and viewpoint, is is the poster boy of long termism. So week by week, nothing is really nothing is really inherently changing as long as Solskjaer is there. Um, I think he's been quite keen to downplay the the back three experiment because he knows that there are about six or seven players of pretty significant or, or repute on that bench, not even getting on that bench, who would otherwise be expecting to have quite a key role for United. You look at the, the forwards who haven't made the England squad this week, you take Mason Greenwood out of the picture because that, that situation is a bit is a bit peculiar. But Lingard and Sancho have been dropped by Gareth Southgate. Uh, Anthony Marshall has come out of the France squad. Uh, it was pretty staggering he was getting in the France squads over the last year, but he, he was. And of course, Donny van der Beek wasn't included in the Dutch squad again. Now, if, if that was happening under another coach's watch, for example, the previous United manager, it would be getting a hell of a lot more attention because of just his his antagonistic nature, I suppose, and what what certain people uh, 
seeing him as, as a flaw in dealing with attack-minded players. But this is a pretty reliable reflection and, and true gauge of, of Solskjaer's management in that he is a pragmatist at heart. Um, that, that's why he was manager of Mulder. That's why Cardiff decided to appoint him that time. And some of his best victories as United manager, um, pragmatism has, has underpinned those victories. So he, he obviously cannot continue with a back three, um, even though it might get him through this game and that game and for a period of time. He, he's going to have to go back to the drawing board and find a way of accommodating two or three more uh, players of this of, of attacking repute because that's where the investment is. £72.9 million on Jaden Sancho and for him to be on the bench in the last four games is not a good look for the manager. So he's got to get a tune out of him sooner or later. And they probably won't play a back three at Watford, regardless of who the manager is, um, because it is Watford. But where they're playing a back three at the moment, it's just, you're kind of on, if, if, you're, if you're a member of Solskjaer's family, you're, you're probably on tenterhooks game by game because the possibility of, of his dismissal is, is possible. Well, sometimes it's just a Cristiano Ronaldo kick away, as was the case in, in midweek. Clearly, if they'd lost 2-1 at Atalanta, they wouldn't have sacked him, but they'd have been a, in a very dire situation in the group. And fortunately for them, even if they do lose to Real, the fact that Real are playing Atalanta in the last group game and United have got young boys at home is an advantage of sorts for them. But in terms of the Premier League and challenging for the title, uh, that talk still feels very, very premature. And here we are just with, with not even the November internationals having taken place. Exactly. I mean, as we said at the start, it's like we're just going around in circles, isn't it? I mean, paper and go the cracks is one term, isn't it? Uh, Ty, in terms of team selection this weekend, then, uh, regardless of formation, it does seem like a game where you know, the Fred McTominay access would, would maybe be, be better suited just because of the way United will likely approach the game, they'd be out of possession. What did you make of, of the players who did come in in midweek then? I mean, Eric Bailly, you know, exceptional. He, he set the standard really for what it means to be United centre back this season. And which is ironic to say himself because it's Eric Bayer. He was so poor last time we saw him play, and you know you don't know what to expect. And Van der Beek and Sancho, I know they need to have their weekly shout outs. They both at least did something off the bench. They both got recognition from Solskjaer post match. Uh, United's strongest eleven, particularly with Varane not available, is a bit muddied. Uh, any players that you think who are on the periphery who are worth a start this week? Um, no, probably not. Probably not. I mean it. You'd say if it's a back three, by he's obviously going to keep his place. He did play well in midweek. It was the kind of game that suits him really, where there's a lot of defending to do, and he's you know he's all action, just chasing the ball and that kind of approach. Really, it's in games where he doesn't have lots to do. I think where maybe it can be a weakness where he's determined to get involved and, and chases needless causes and, and gets involved and dragged out of position. On on Tuesday, it was we know we, we noticed he had a good game because we noticed him because he was all over the place, flying into tackles and. That's kind of the almost the unstructured defence that suits by you. When the game's just about holding your position, it's probably what he what he struggles with. So but he did have a good game and generally he's probably had a good twelve months really for United when he's when he's been on the pitch. So I would stick with him. I don't think Van der Beek's anywhere near it. Um I think that's been been proved beyond doubt now that he's nowhere near it. I don't see much point in him considering it the club really beyond beyond January. Sancho as well. I mean, we've not really seen enough from him. If it goes to a back to a back to the four two three one, then maybe you play on the wing because obviously he's got something to prove against City. But it feels instructive that we've not really even 
mentioned, and that's been irrelevant in the build-up, no one's mentioned the fact that he's back in the Premier League playing against City because no one really expects him to play. And he is undoubtedly the biggest loser if United stick with a 3-5-2 because there's just no role for him beyond becoming a, a repurposed right wing-back, which which isn't going to happen. So, in a way, that's the biggest criticism of the 3-5-2, that you spent £74 million on a winger you've wanted for two years and now haven't got a place to play him. So, that's the biggest issue with it being a long-term formation. So, no, I don't, I don't think... I mean, I, if I would play the 3-5-2 and I would play basically the same team at Tottenham besides Bailly coming in for Varane, really, so, I think. I guess, yeah, I guess that was the question I was going to ask you. Maybe a bit of a quick fire one, Ty. The back three, would you go, if possible, who, who are you putting in there then? I'd play Bailly, Lindelof and Maguire in there and beyond that, the same team that, that did well at Tottenham. I thought everyone... Everyone else did pretty well at Tottenham. The front two looked a good partnership. McTominay as the lone holding midfielder played pretty well. Ferret and Fernandez linked up well in midfield. So I would go with that again. And I think that's probably that's that's that yeah, that's the route I would take. No temptation to put Shaw at left centre back and maybe Tellers on the left wing back role or I wouldn't, no. I mean there might be a temptation to do it, but he seems to have seems to have tried to to shy away from that at the moment. And I think he does like that. Shaw Maguire partnership um, down the left hand side. So Liverpool I'm, certainly. Did. Yeah, I was going to say at least yeah, one true. person, doesn't That's it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was going to come on to that for you, Samuel. Next, I mean Maguire. I mean, he still is undroppable, particularly with Varane not playing. His situation yeah. at the moment, it's just it's baffling, isn't it? Really, because he is untouchable as United's captain in, in the centre defence. But his standards and uh, sure as well, you know, two England internationals, two people who are guaranteed places both at club and country level. But the standard just hasn't been there. I mean, how does Solskjaer solve that? Is there any way to solve that? I mean, do they just need to be dropped at some point? I'm not saying the City game, but given a rest at some point, because they both just look well off the pace at the moment. I think knowing Solskjaer, he probably will just play them until they play their way back into form. But but Maguire is a real worry at the moment. I actually thought United got worse when they did go to a back four. It was it was a strange dynamic. It was it was a bold move by Solskjaer putting Greenwood on for Varane and obviously going to four two three one. And it had that it had those gains of Greenwood playing a key role in both goals, but it also had the pain of of, of Maguire being exposed as he was and. It was, it was notable in the one point in the second half, his refusal to to engage Zapata, um, just prompted by to you know outstretch both arms and exasperations as if to say, what the hell are you doing? What are you playing at? Um, and Bay was the one man defence who was he, he was the glue there, holding whilst the, the rest of them were getting pulled pulled apart. Um, at the airport yesterday, speaking to a United fan, he he. I thought I agreed with him. He he said that he thinks Maguire has been worse in the last month or so than he was at the start of last season after the Mykonos incident. And obviously the standout defeat um, or moment in that period was, was the Spurs game. Uh, whereas this season there's been a, there's been a conscious attempt of late to try and pin Maguire's form on him being rushed back for that Leicester game. But, I think what his people uh, are forgetting is that he was absolutely dreadful before that Leicester game. You think of the chance he gifted uh, Adam Armstrong uh, against Southampton. He was dreadful against West Ham. There was there was some dithering defending there. Uh, the, the Leicester game, I, I know he was obviously a bit ring rusty, but it's still some going to be culpable for four goals. And again, I maintain that I think the crowd had more of an impact on his performance that day 
than the injury he was carrying. But as you say, he's he's an unchallenged unchallenged member of that squad. Uh, I think Luke Shaw still is as well. Alex Tellez has not been a successful signing. He he, he peaked on his debut against Paris Saint Germain. I don't think he really is going the right way about it either with that Instagram post last week, which as soon as you read it, you thought, well, he's deep, either definitely starting or he's just not in the squad whatsoever. And it was the latter. So that there are there are reservations on Solskjaer's part about trusting the backup there that he's he's got available to him. But the question is, well, why would you sign Tellez? Why would you give Eric Bailly a new contract? Bailly, obviously, he can have some games when he's at his optimum. He can he can be brilliant and he had to do a hell of a lot of cleaning up for Pogba or Maguire or other teammates against Atalanta in midweek. But you know there's always... <laughs> He's always not far from disaster. And I think we kind of called it before that Tottenham game at the start of last season that, you know, although he was doing all right in the cup games before, then Lindelof was wobbling and by got his chance, you just thought, well, maybe today will be the day when he just combust. And unfortunately for him, he did pretty spectacularly. Varane is the is the most important defender. He's one of the most important players at United. You, you saw the confidence he brought to the defence against Tottenham last week. It's just that reassurance, that that class that he just oozes. And I agree with Ty. I think as, as you know, remarkable as Ronaldo is, I think in a weird way, um, Varane is more indispensable than he is because you have got options, be it Cavani or Rashford or even an irrelevance like Martial to come in and, and offer some firepower up top. Whereas with Varane, if he comes out of the team, it is a potential disaster. If if he was on the pitch against Liverpool two weeks ago, I, I, I refuse to believe that Liverpool would have scored five goals against United. Yeah, exactly. I agree. It's just the drop-off in quality when Varane's not playing is so much more apparent than when Ronaldo does. I know that sounds silly because Ronaldo scored two more important goals for United in midweek. And, you know, Oli was asked about him in his pre-match press conference tie. He was asked, you know, about those those weird critics who seem to think that someone who scored nine goals in 11 games is having a negative effect on a team when he keeps on bailing them out. And, you know, Solskjaer might not be in a job if Ronaldo hadn't been signed in the summer, I guess. Um, Ronaldo then, I mean, we, we talk him up, don't we? He's the, the big game player. And, you know, he, he's got a case to argue he's the greatest ever big game player in the history of men's football. Against Liverpool, he had the goal which was disallowed. He had a very sort of forgettable afternoon other than that, really, though. He's just frustrated. Maybe could have been sent off as well. That kick out at Curtis Jones. Do you think he does ha- actually have a, a point to prove this weekend, Ronaldo, considering that he was sort of a non-event against Liverpool and that Salah sort of took the headlines that day? Um, I don't... I'm not I'm not sure he does have a point to prove, but he might find some inner motivation for that. It was interesting that... <laughs> excuse me, I think um, Solskjaer was asked in his pretty much press conference against Atalanta by an Italian journalist whether he felt Ronaldo would have a point to prove coming back to Italy. And, you know, obviously he's got, he hasn't got a point to prove to anyone anymore, but great players find a motivation from within sometimes and, and use it as a slight. So he might see, I mean, it's a derby and he's playing for Manchester United, the team he clearly loves. So I'm sure there's plenty of motivation there, but he might find an extra edge in, in doing it against Guardiola, having come so close to signing for them in the summer. So he, he might find some edge there. I mean, some of the criticism around him, around him and the idea, I mean, it was instinctive and I think a lot of us did it, that on, on Tuesday we say, where would where would United be without Ronaldo? <clears throat> but in a way, it's irrelevant because they signed the greatest goal scorer in the game today to score goals. And now we're saying, exactly. well, he's scoring, he's scoring goals. Where would they be without him? Well, this is what they signed him for. I mean, they, they didn't sign him to 
the last-minute equalisers against Atalanta, last-minute winners against Villarreal. They should be winning games more comfortable. But the fact he's scoring late goals or scoring those goals, that, that is part of the reason they signed him. That's, you know, that's what he's there for. So I think some of that criticism is bizarre. And the idea of... I mean, United knew what they were getting in terms of pressing. And I don't think any of that criticism is aimed at Ronaldo. I think some of it could be aimed at Solskjaer. I don't think the team's adapted yet to, to the fact that they've got him up front now. Going from Cavani at the end of last year in a system that seemed to work quite well to Ronaldo is going to be different in terms of how you press because Cavani's just the Duracell bunny, isn't he? He's just non-stop. And Ronaldo's very different. So it's going to take time to adapt. But, you know, it, it's not... It doesn't have to be an issue. Not every team presses and not every player in a team presses. There are ways around it and United just haven't found a way around it so far yet. But that's the job of the the coaches on the training ground, really. But beyond that, Ronaldo's doing what he was signed to do. His impact has been what everyone expected. And the idea of where would they be without him? I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter, partly because that's what they knew he was going to get. And also, didn't have him last year and they finished second and, and had a pretty good season by all accounts. Maybe they'd have done more without him, but it's not like he's the only world-class player in that team and, and he's the one that, that you know, they're, they're reliant on him because he's a world-class player, but your reliance, most teams are reliant on their centre-forward. Liverpool are reliant on Salah to a degree. It's just it's just the way the game is. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, you touched upon it there as well, Ty, there isn't just one formula of how every team needs to play. You know, I know, I know that that many teams do have this sort of 4-3-3, sorry, expansive football. And I know United are sort of compared to it, say, why can't they do that? Well, if United find their own way that's effective, then that, that that's fine. It just feels that whenever United win or whatever, people are saying, well, they should be doing this, they should be doing what other teams do rather than just embracing their own talents. But, you know, I mean, I guess the, the ultimate catalyst is this weekend playing against City. And interestingly enough, Samuel, sorry, going into the game, you know, Solskjaer has won four of his eight meetings with Man City so far, he drew another one as well. So he's got a better head-to-head record than Pep Guardiola does in this, in this fixture as of late. And he's also the best win rate of any manager who's faced Guardiola at least five times in his career. Uh, Solskjaer, you know, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it, the derby? Because something deep down does tell you, you wouldn't be totally surprised if United did pull it out of the bag. And, you know, when the pressure's on, United do have this knack of getting out of these these holes. What are you expecting from United? Are you expecting it to be a much closer competitive match this weekend? Than, than the Liverpool game? or just Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think just be, by virtue of the the sheer uh, remarkableness of, of that result the other week, it... It would be some going if if it got anywhere near that. If it if it did get anywhere near that, then I don't think there'd be any point Solskjaer going back to Carrington. But you never know with this United hierarchy. But they have made gradual progress in the two results. Those two results against Spurs and Atalanta have come with massive caveats. Um, but they've they've been two creditable results. As I said, I thought the midweek point was was a positive one, particularly the the manner of it when. They had that resilience to still get that goal right at the death. The Tottenham game was a change of formation. It was justified. Uh, there were plenty of very good individual performances. As a collective performance, it was a huge improvement on the Liverpool game as well. Against City, I mean, United struggled to control most games, never mind a game against Guardiola's ballhoggers, really. So I think, I think they're going to have to just kind of like have this this humble approach that they've had previously against City under Solskjaer. And that, that does signal regression. If you go into a back three at home against City, which is what they did in what 
20 months ago, whenever it was that the last derby with, with match guys present, um, that's that's not in the direction United want to be going or need to be going. And it's short-termism when they've all been talking about long-termism for the last two, three years, however long it's it's been since they started that cultural reset. But it's a means to an end. And Solskjaer, has, has need, he needs to look at it quite selfishly. And, and he probably has been over the last week or so with with the last two performances in that if he can just get through this game, get through the November internationals, then you've not got an international break until March. Maybe United can start to get some momentum at that point. They did last season, in fairness. It was, it's, it's been quite um, identical in some ways, not as not nearly as apocalyptic as last season, but they had a very tough October, um, which, which ended, you know, did not ended pretty badly um i think going into november but then they got the result at everton just before the november internationals they came back from that and although it went all right in the champions league with them going out of the group stage the the premier league form was was quite impressive up until that game against sheffield united in late january where they just lost their nerve when they were at the top and what title challenge um they might have mounted ended that night effectively so it wouldn't surprise me, despite the dire situation Solskjaer was in at the start of last week, if he is still the manager in March time or come come if we're heading into the final stretch and and he's still there. But they, they've, they've really got to put up a performance. They've got to put up a fight in this game. And uh, I suppose you could argue that they're already hampering themselves if they do go to a back three and depriving themselves of an additional attacker. But when you have got such a high-quality trio of forwards in Cavani, Ronaldo and Fernandes, something can happen out of nothing, as, as Fernandes and Ronaldo showed with, with the first goal last week. I'm going to ask you a question here, maybe an uncomfortable one, Samuel. What what would need to happen this weekend then for United to make a managerial change? Would it have to be a repeat of the Liverpool performance? I mean, a narrow defeat, you know, given circumstances, would would be okay with it still or, or what do you think that the sort of situation on Solskjaer is at this moment going into the derby? I think if they lost 3-0 I think he probably still clings on even though 8-0 aggregate defeat against Liverpool and City at home in two weeks is I mean that is disastrous there's no way of paint, trying to dress it up but you're trying to put your, yourself in the view how, how how people who are not football people view it and if if they lost 4-0 I, I think that's at the time where I might start worrying about my week off next week if it's a 5-0 he has to be a goner and the fact that we're even talking about the possibility of United losing 5-0 again it's I, th- I, th- I don't think it's just us being naturally pessimistic or defeatist I think that is just a reflection of the state of play at the club if, if United were winning every game, we'd, we'd all be pleased because our jobs are a hell of a lot easier when they're doing well and uh, things are going by swimmingly and you've not got you've not got to be logging on at all hours to check if a manager's getting sacked or if something's afoot um, and, and your week off's also not in jeopardy. But the fact that we're even talking about this is another... It's, it's another reason why they do and they should have changed manager last week. They they absolutely bottled it last week. There's there's no two ways about that. The fact that they didn't sack him, he, he should have been sacked. It's to his credit that he's overseen two pretty impressive results since then. Certainly acceptable at the bare minimum. Again, many caveats to them, but 
credible performances and result against Tottenham, a credible result against Atalanta. But it, the fact it just seems like every month, in some kind of innovative way, United come full circle, whether it's going to a back three against Man City at home, um, whether it's going to a back three after getting a tonking um, by, by a Merseyside side. And the fact we are going round in circles just kind of summarises the situation and nothing's going to change in terms of United's competitiveness or ability to challenge for the major honours. And some are trying to... You know, Gary Neville said the other week about if he wins the Europa League and the FA Cup, and that that is not those are not the targets for United this season. People need to be realistic about what they were gearing up to challenge for this season, and they're eight points off Chelsea already. If they're eleven points off them going into November internationals, that's another dire situation. I think Mourinho, I think United were was it eleven points off the Champions League last Champions League place when Mourinho was sacked. Um, so. But, but again, that, that was a Champions League place, not top spot. And with this this hierarchy, it's, it's the possibility of losing Champions League football, which which really does unsettle them. And United are nowhere near at that point just yet. No, exactly. Uh, Ty, heading into this weekend then, what are you expecting from the match? What what, were you, what I mean, I know, I know you don't like being asked for these predictions every week. I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, but I mean, it seems like we were all on the same page that United will at least be better and more competitive than they were in that Liverpool game and it should at least be a, a contest which you know it wasn't in, in, for that one or two weeks ago so what what are you expecting and, and what what I mean you said for the 3-5-2 surely that makes United more dangerous it, it caters to their strengths on the counter-attack yeah I mean I think so I would go with that but I wouldn't be equally I wouldn't be surprised if it was 4-2-3-1 I mean the general theme of United games this year has been chaos and late chaos as well. I mean, there must be thousands of words on the cutting room floor, given the um, the number of late goals that they've scored and conceded. But I think maybe there won't be such chaos this weekend. City are a very controlled team. I think United will just try and keep it tight. And like Samuel says, just not get thrashed, basically. If they can stay within a goal or keep it at nil-nil with 20 minutes to go, I think they'll probably be pretty happy with that. So I can see it being a much um, more... I'm going to say relaxed, but a much kind of slower game. City have, I mean, City have saved their biggest performances this season for the biggest games, which would be a concern, I guess, for United. But I don't think it would be as chaotic as it has been, purely because if United do let it become chaos, it could be 4-0, 5-0 chaos. So I think it'll be pretty pretty tight. A 1-1, maybe a 1-0 either way, something like that. Samuel, do, do you go along with that then? The one all, 1-0 one United? What What do you think? I, I could certainly see them getting a draw just because of City's lack of a, a focal point up top and they've not scored in six games already this season. They seem a little bit easier to contain than in, in past seasons and United have done a good job of, of containing them as well in, in a number of uh, those games under Solskjaer. I think certainly they their two clean sheets against last season. They had a clean sheet in, in the 2-0 in the March 2020 derby as well, which was obviously with a back three. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if United did somehow pull off a, a result that can be spun as positive. That that 1-1 with Liverpool a couple of years ago at home when they'd lost three of their first seven in the league, that, that was a positive result, even though it was a draw at home to Liverpool because Liverpool had won all their league games up until that point and United actually had a bit about themselves that day. So a, a positive 
point at home, I think, would, would be widely accepted by the supporters, of, especially after what happened two weeks ago. I mean, the prospect of another humiliation um, is, is going to fill some with a hell of a lot of dread going into the game. And I, I think for some, they'll probably be thinking of that that game against City in the League Cup a couple of seasons ago when United were 3-0 down at half-time and, and somehow City didn't score any more goals that game. United made it 3-1 and and they were pretty, you know, they, they made a they made a contest of that two-legged tie in the end. I think we'll remember the, the free kick they had the death at the Etihad where everyone's expecting Juan Mata to take it and then Fred, of all people, decided to, to step up. So, Again, they, they have these powers of recovery under Solskjaer, but they're not quite the powers of recovery that they had when he was a player. And, and those are the days that United fans are pining for. So uh, in terms of this weekend, I, I'd probably see City just sneaking it, but I don't see United getting absolutely turned over like they did by Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we shall see. And we will be back next week to analyse whatever did happen at the Etihad and Samuel I hope you do have a holiday you can enjoy of course that means that United won't be getting thrashed this weekend I guess if we're going to end on some positivity United are unbeaten in their last four league games against City which is their longest such run against them since a run of six between 2008 and 2011 and United have won three of their last four games against City which is as many as they had in their previous 16 against them as well so you know let's have some optimism I know we've probably been quite negative on this podcast so you know we need to give that bit of balance but yeah we shall see what awaits this weekend and like I said, the Manchester Red podcast, we'll have to think of a new name maybe on Monday, but we'll, we'll keep it like that until then. So, Ty, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. And thank you once again, wherever you might be in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.